The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already and you got a few bucks rattling around in your, in your pocketbook, become a Major Spoilers member today. It's very inexpensive. Point your browser, find out more, patreon.com slash major spoilers. It helps keep this show going. And for those of you who are new, uh, I was going to bring up some of the new people that uh, signed up recently, but I didn't do that in time to uh, record this bit. So I'm just going to say all of you new people who have signed up in the last couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to I'm going to say your names here later in the show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Major Spoilers crew is here, and we're ready to believe you. We got movies, we got TV, we got comic books, we even got the Munsters, because why not? All the cool things in the world are at your very fingertips with the patented Major Spoilers tips and tricks to help you choose the things for you. Plus, Lady Killer, qu'est-ce que c'est? Fa-fa-fa-fa-fa-fa, faithful spoiler rights. Keep us going, and we bring the lightning for every one of you, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 929. 929. I know, it's a lot of them, right? This I wanted is, to uh, have a Porsche 929 when I was a little boy. I'm sure you did. Um, yeah, yes. Yes, everybody go look that one up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, if you missed the, the pre-show, we talked all about some of the Netflix announcements that have come out in the last couple of days, some TV shows and movies that we've been watching, why we hate, uh, why we are shying away from post-apocalyptic stories. You can find that discussion. It's a rather long one this week over at yeah. our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers. And uh, yeah, no, not dot com, just patreon.com slash major spoilers. You don't say a dot com after that because it's going to confuse people. It's dot com. It's dot com licious. That's it's why. our website. Com dot com dot com. Yes. Um. Yeah, so thank you, everybody, who is uh, signed up recently, and I can't find, unfortunately, I can't find the new people like I wanted to, uh, but um, thank you, everybody, for for being awesome and doing all those cool things. We say it was David and Michelle. Well, no, there was like somebody who, so here's one of the nice things about joining the Patreon is you get access to secret areas on our Major Spoilers Discord, and it's great Mm -hmm. seeing people show up um, who pop in and say, hey, I just signed up to the... uh, patreon page and i'm new here into the discord and everybody is so welcoming it's such a great community over at our major spoilers discord page and i hope everybody will come and hang out with all of these uh all of these awesome people and make our community grow uh without our community we would be nothing i'm sure we'd still be here uh recording everything but they'd be fewer and far far between uh, we certainly wouldn't be up to 929 episodes and we most certainly wouldn't be ready to jump into the news. Netflix has released the cast of the Jupiter's Legacy, which is the signal the show isn't coming back for another season. Jupiter's Legacy is a comic book adaptation of Mark Millar's work, or Mark Miller's work, depending on how you want to say it. I don't care. Part of Miller World's acquisition that Netflix made in 2017. While audiences gave the show a 72% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics generally pan the series, earning it a 38% rating. Currently, Magic Order and Super Crooks are the next Miller World projects in the works over at the streaming media service. That is unfortunate. I know Netflix is kind of weird about what they fund and what they don't fund. Uh, yeah. I think that this was one of the more expensive uh, ventures that they had gotten into to the tune of $100 million or something like that. Something like $10 million per episode. A lot of special wow. effects work. Uh, a lot of a lot of cast members, uh, you know, jumping back and forth from time periods, doing a period piece is not cheap. Um, and so I think they looked at the overall ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and looking at the first couple of weeks of the show. The first week of the show was really up. I guess uh, the couple of weeks after that, the viewership really dropped off and they decided not to renew it, which is sad because there's a couple of big story arcs and a big reveal in the in the last uh, installment 
that really leaves you on a cliffhanger. So I enjoyed Jupiter's Legacy. I know a lot of people didn't care for it, but uh, I'm kind of sad to to see it go. I wish it was going to get at least a second season. Well, I know something that'll make you happy. What is that? A sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, what you claim is the greatest movie of all time. It, it, no, 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 no. It's not the greatest movie of all time. It is simply the greatest number one Spider-Man movie of all time. And number two, uh, it may be the greatest superhero movie of all time. Ah, True. well, you know, you know, split some hairs there. But are you familiar with Issa Rae? I am. She's in a in a show, I think, called Insecurity or Insecure on uh, one of those uh, shows, services, places. But I know her. Yeah, she is joining Spider-Man into the Spider-Versus sequel, which I think should be called Spider-Man into the Spider-Versus. But nobody listens to me. She's going to be playing Jessica Drew. Nice. uh, The first Spider-Woman. Not not the first Spider-Woman. Yeah, the first Marvel Spider-Woman. The first Marvel Spider-Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's say the first Spider-Woman from Marvel. She is the first Spider-Woman from Marvel. What she about, totally is. No, what about uh, uh, Electric Company in conjunction with Marvel Presents Spider-Woman? Well, that was not a Marvel character. That's on Earth 733-2955. What about the kiss of the Spider-Woman? That okay. after, I believe. That is definitely after. Thank you, Ashley, for backing me up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... We know she's going to be in the movie. We know that Shamik Moore is returning as Miles Morales. Uh, Haley Steinfeld will reprise her role as Spider-Gwen. Uh, no word as she, whether or not she's bringing Bumblebee with her. I'm going to go with maybe not. Uh, Jessica Drew, of course, first appeared in 1977, Marvel Spotlight number 32. She had her own cartoon series in 78, which I think is interesting, created by uh, Archie Goodwin and Marie Severin. And the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, as I'm going to call it, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, this is... Scheduled to open October 7th of next year, 2022. I'm so excited uh, for this. I, I think this is so interesting because I um, am not a fan of shoehorning Jessica Drew into Spider-Man stories because they so explicitly let us know that she has nothing to do with Peter Parker. True. <laughs> uh, but Issa Rae is great right. and very funny and I think will bring a really great uh, sensibility to this movie. So I'm excited. Uh, when we brought up Haley Seinfeld, I was expecting a Jeremy Renner reference. So was was pleased to hear Bumblebee instead. Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't want to be predictable. And, you know, I, I actually know Issa Rae. I've lit, my daughter and I lately have been watching a show called Black Lady Sketch Show. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really funny. She's apparently one of the producers and did a couple of spots in the show. And I'm just like, yeah, um, just based on seeing her be funny there and be really, really entertaining and really cool. I want to see what's going on with Into the Spider-Verse. I, my only fear, not, and it's not about, uh, you know, who they have cast. My only fear right. is that I am hyping myself up too much for this sequel. You always that, are. Though. And that I'm, I'm going to be disappointed. You, you're the, I don't want to sound mean when I say this, so please don't think that I'm Which being cruel. I'm being saying cruel. this as a friend. You, you <laughs> are the crying. person who hypes himself up and then nah. gets disappointed because you hype oh, no, yourself no, a little no, more because than you No, 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 because there's a lot of times where I will just set the bar super low and say, oh, this movie's going to be horrible. And then I go in and go, ah, well, it wasn't as horrible as I thought it was going to be. It's pretty good. So, but do you, but I, do you remember 1990 something when we were going to see Star Trek Generations? And you were like, as long as it's not just an hour, a two hour long episode of the show. I think that's like, you that said that show. I think that's you and that said that. I no, didn't even, I didn't you. even want to, I, I didn't like, even want to go to the show. I didn't even want to go to the movie. And, and Mike Lycan was like, no, let's get everybody to go to this movie and we'll go. get drunk. And I was like, no, all right, that's fine. <laughs> And then Captain Kirk died and everybody was like, ah, and you were just like, man, that was just a two hour long episode of the show. I'm disappointed. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. why do you set yourself up for these Speaking things? Speaking you- of uh, setting me myself up for failure, Ashley, what, what else is coming up? Wow. Duncan on the news. I haven't even talked about yet. <laughs> so a few weeks ago on the major spoilers podcast pre-show, we were talking all about the themes and tropes of Netflix's shadow and bone series. And Steven asked me if I knew anything about it. And I told him, no, I didn't and killed the conversation right there. <laughs> it is a fantasy series. I now know this starring Jesse, my Lee, Archie Renault, Freddie Carter, Amita Suman, Kit Young, Danielle Galligan, Callahan Skogman. Maybe that's how you say your name. I'm sorry. And Ben Barnes, sweet Prince Caspian. And Unlike Jupiter's Legacy, it has been renewed for a second season. The announcement was made during, um, I almost said Marvel's, Netflix's uh, Geeked Week uh, event that came on Monday. And Shadow and Bone is based on the Grishaverse book series by Lee 
Bardugo crush that one too season two will consist of eight one-hour episodes but no release date has been announced but obviously their streaming numbers hit what they they i mean not only did it hit what they were wanting it to do it continued and continued and continued because as we talked about in that pre-show from a couple of weeks ago it's got the chosen one trope plus it's got the bad guy and the hero girl falling in love and all those kinds of things i think personally amita suman is is the star of the show but that's just me uh season two i don't know i i they they did build up. Uh, this is based on the book series. I know nothing about it. I think it'll be interesting. If people are into that, then I applaud them. If not, that's fine, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I will not get my hopes up too high on this because there were some real cheesy bits in Shadow and Bone Season 1 that uh, mm. I'm sure they're going to continue into Season 2. See, that's what you need to do. You need to set the possibility that it's going to suck in your head. Oh, okay. So that you'll be pleasantly surprised. All right, Rodrigo, then let's bring it home with things that are probably going to suck. And so I'm going <laughs> to set my set the bar really low. Wow. How dare you? How dare you speak <laughs> like that about Robert? How very dare you? Robert Aloysius Zombie. The uh, so Rob Zombie, I don't know. I don't think that's his middle name. Uh, Rob Zombie took to Instagram on Monday to announce his next film will be his take on the monsters based on the 1964 sitcom. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the movie is being developed by uh, Universal Studios, I'm going to say 1440 Productions Division. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, yeah. Uh, Which seems to indicate the movie will eventually land on the Peacock streaming service rather than getting a full-on theatrical release. Now listen, I have nothing against Rob Zombie. I have nothing against House of a Thousand Corpses. I have nothing against his splatter porn type stuff. But um, that mixed with the monsters seems a little odd combination. Well, I mean, just oh God, a few years ago, they had a monsters thing where uh, the kid from My Secret Identity was playing Herman as like a flesh golem. And Eddie Izzard was playing uh, a grandpa who was like a more traditional vampire than the green faced guy. And it, I always felt like that kind of has potential but i also worry that without a sense of humor and i'm not saying rob doesn't have one i'm just saying that uh, mr zombie hasn't it is, isn't someone that i think of when i think of wacky fun yeah so i'm i'm kind of worried because you know i i'm not a huge monsters fan but i'm probably the biggest monsters fan on this show maybe and you know i I love Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn is an American treasure. Actually, I think he may have been a Canadian treasure. But nonetheless, if you I mean if you're gonna do the Munsters, you're gonna be standing in the shadow of Fred Gwynn. I mean and you better you better, you know, do right by the shadow of Fred Gwynn, you know? It it can't be any worse than that uh remake of um uh gosh, Dark no, Shadows. Dark Dark Shadows. Yeah. Uh, that's that's exactly my my take on it is the the only thing I don't want this to be like uh, Rob Zombie can can do whatever he want with this property as long as it's not a property who's like a a film whose theme is look at how stupid this property is right right like the Brady Bunch movies like uh, Starsky and Hutch. Like all of those things that are like just very disrespectful of their own source material. Yep. Like I, I'm okay if they turn the monsters into like an actual scary movie that isn't doesn't have a lot of humor. As mm-hmm. long as it's not like, hey, check out this concept. Weren't people back then stupid for liking this? Right. You know, they did a scary banana splits movie a year or two ago. Oh yeah. And I throughout that whole thing, my my thought process was, you know, A, as always, why? But B, Wait, it's... Wasn't that just Five Nights at Freddy's? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. But my second question is, when you do something like that, as Rodrigo alluded to, you have the option of super, super scary or, you know, completely can't be scary. And I feel like when you have a property that's known for being funny and camp and very 60s, super scary would be the natural thought process to invert everything. But it also feels like 
the question of then aren't you kind of invalidating anything that made the monsters good? Right. And then of course you get into that argument where people are like, well, the monsters was never good. And D man sucks. Well, and nobody I mean, likes I, Cyclops because he's boring. And what like, I don't want to, I guess what I don't want to see is what's the, what's the dragon that lives under the stairs, Fido? Spot. Spot. Uh, what I don't want to see is, you know, the door to door salesman, the fuller brush man comes to the, uh, 1313 Mockingbird Lane rings the doorbell and then spot like we get to see it in bloody action bites the top of him off and all we're left is with a bloody stump uh, just spouting blood all over the place and Marilyn just getting there covered with it and going oh well that's it and then closes the door and that's supposed to be you know a great scene I, so, I so what you're telling me <laughs> what, what you're telling me is that you don't want to see Modoc. pretty much yes you don't again you know, the house of a, of a scrimptillion corpses isn't the only thing Senor Zombie has ever done. And there was a cartoon that had a very, very humorous camp vibe uh, that was also incredibly offensive called, uh, I think, The Return of El Superbisto. El Superbisto, yeah. Yeah, and I felt like that had an edge without being, you know, Herschel Gordon, Lewis Gorefest. And if that's the kind of tone that they're working with, and if that's what they're wanting to do, I might be down for, you know, a monsters in that sort of vein. But <laughs> I said vein. Anyway, I don't think we're going to see uh, what's his name. Uh, Barris uh, uh, cars in the thing. So, we should. I mean, if you I, don't I bust out it. the Dracula, what good are you? I, I doubt it. Hey, listeners, we want you to join in the conversation about these stories and a whole lot more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There's a link in the Patreon account. Uh, I'm sorry. There's a link in the show notes to that. Or if you have a Patreon account, link it to the Discord channel. and You get access to even more features. Find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Now, here is an announcement. Uh, I don't know how many of you have... Uh, quests or quest twos. I think Matthew, you have a quest, right? We have uh, the the white, white one. one. That's I a think quest two. Quest two. Yeah, Rodrigo, do you have a quest? Uh, Ashley, do you have a quest? What is I, a quest? I don't know what that is. It's it's a VR it's headset. Three D. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we do. Actually, we no. do have one. Okay, yeah. so here's the thing: if you guys have not gotten this game called Demio, you really need to do it. It is basically what let's play tabletop RPG. Um, well, more like the Dungeons and Dragons board game, but with like. 3d you know dungeons and you're moving your characters it is a super awesome game i've loved it since it has come out uh turns out that brian ibbett over there at coverville also loves this game uh uh brian uh dunaway also really loves this game scott johnson is really into this game nicole spagnolo is really into this game and coming up this saturday i believe it is seven o'clock p.m mountain time the four of us with scott johnson providing commentary are going to jump in and we're going to be playing Demio Live. That's going to be Coverville, myself, Brian Dunaway, Nicole Spagnola with Scott Johnson providing the commentary. We're going to come together and we're going to play this uh, game for a couple of hours, all to raise money for Alzheimer's research. Okay, so we're going to go, I think, at least two hours. It might go longer than that uh, as we play this game. Uh, should be a lot of fun. You can find out more on how you can help raise money for Alzheimer's uh, research by going to tiny.cc slash coverville alz 2021 tiny.cc slash coverville alz 2021 uh, to find out how you can contribute and how you can help and then come uh, hang out saturday night and watch us uh, stream this game live on frogpants.tv it's going to be a lot of fun we did a test of it this past weekend it was really crazy uh and it's all for a good cause and here's the best part i've already told brian uh uh Brian Ibbett is the one that's doing this. He's got a real reason to uh, want to uh, get money into the Alzheimer's research. Every critical hit that I roll during that stream, I'm going to contribute $20 to the cause. So, you know, depending on how the algorithms are going, I could be out a lot of money at the end of that stream or maybe just a couple of bucks. Uh, I don't know. You're going to have to come find out, hang out with us. And uh, raise some money for a good cause that's coming up this Saturday as we do the Demio live stream. Find out more by following Brian Ibbett over on Twitter at Coverville or uh, Frog Pants. Those will both have more information on that. But I hope you all come out and hang out with us for that. All right. Now it is time to do some reviews. Looks like I am the one that has a review from uh, last week. It's Batman The Adventures Continue Season 2 Number 1. 
This is from Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, the, you know, the creators and writers of the Batman, the animated series uh, cartoon show from back in the day with art from Ty Templeton. This is really interesting because it's done in the Batman animated style. So, number one, that's a big uh, plus for me. But they're bringing in the Court of Owls and the Talon Assassins into this universe, which I find is very fascinating. It is not following the Court of Owls storyline. But the, the thing that is most shocking is that they kill Mayor Hill in the first issue. So Mayor Hill is dead, and which is really shocking because it's like, oh, they're really going to go and, and kill a character that is a main, I wouldn't say a main character, but certainly part of the big supporting staff of Batman, the animated uh, series universe. And they just off him, the talent off him. And Batman is trying to figure out who's going to, uh, uh, who's doing this and who the talent are and who the Court of Owls are. And he's going to get some help from Dead Man. Ooh, so it's got a cool team up. We get appearances from Zatanna. We get appearances from Dick Grayson with his long ponytail. Uh, we see Robin riding off on his bike, uh, Tim Drake riding off in his bike uh, in one panel, actually. So I don't know if we're going to see any more of him in the series or not. But um, this is a pretty interesting little series. I'm on board for however long this runs. I want to see how the Court of Owls story plays out in the Batman animated series universe. If you're a fan of the television series, I think that you need to know nothing else as you go into this. Um, if you don't know who the Court of Owls are, I think that is OK, because they do a pretty good job of trying to explain that this is a super secret society that only a few people have ever known about. And that kind of sets up, um, you know, how the, the next couple of issues have gone. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Only the, the ding is because I really wasn't expecting Mayor Hill to be killed. I thought he might be held hostage. I thought he might have a bomb strapped to him. I thought something like that. But no, Talon's just off him. So there you go. Uh, Batman, The Adventures Continue, Season 2, Number 1. It's already out from DC Comics. Go pick it up and check it out. All right, coming out this week, Ashley Victoria Robinson. Yeah. The Heroes Reborn storyline is almost done. This is week six of seven. But we are finally get introduced to uh, our own version of the Heroes Reborn, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, so I have read nothing of Heroes Reborn, any of the Heroes Reborn. So I don't really know thematically or narratively if this ties into the overarching uh, deal. I just like Batgirl and I like Gwen Stacy. And if you like those things, then this is a Venn diagram for you, my friends. So uh, Night Gwen is basically... Uh, a, I believe a new character who is supposed to be a female sidekick to Nighthawk, who is a Marvel character that I was aware of, but also don't think I've ever read a story <laughs> of, and I conflate him with Darkhawk in my brain. So, if the Gwen Stacy that you knew uh, was Dr. Harleen Quinzel during the day and Batgirl at night, down to the uh, what I consider the Batman the Animated Series style Batgirl costume, black, blue, and yellow. That is what this one shot is. And I thought it was really, really great. So it starts with her in Ravencroft Asylum. We learn how in this universe she came to be Dr. Gwendolyn Stacy. She's taking after her mother versus the more traditional Spider-Gwen story where she works in crime fighting in homage to her father. Uh, she hangs out with her best friend, Detective Misty Knight, who is a tough cop lady who hates Nightbird. Do, do, do conflict and whose boss is Luke Cage. So that's very cool. <laughs> and she, over the course of this one shot, um, has to take down a bad guy who was the Jackal. It's in the solicit, so I suppose that's not a spoiler. Uh, but it's not the Jackal that you think it is, listeners, and it's not the Jackal that Gwen thinks it is, um, but it is a character who is much more important to her in the overall Spider-Man mythos and in the specific Heroes Reborn mythos that we get here. It's not Peter Parker, so slight spoilers i suppose if that, i know that's everyone's first thought it's not peter parker um this is written by vita ayala with art by farid karami and i think as a one shot it is really really fun it is packed there is a lot of panels a lot of action a lot of settings and a lot of words on the page that doesn't always 
these work for me, particularly with um, superhero specifics, big two storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. I like to see a lot more of the fights, but there are some really good action beats here. Um, it's very much, um, you know, when you read a Nightwing story, like any Nightwing story, and there are uh, long panels where you see like six Dick Graysons in them because he's flipping through the air and we get to see him <laughs> yeah. landing on a bunch of people's heads and stuff. Yeah. That is like all over this. Like it's just, it's borrowing from Batman so hard. Um, and it's really beautiful to behold. But the reason that I give it a pass for cramming so much into the, I think it's 32 or 31, 33 pages. I can't counter do math. I got an English degree. Um, <laughs> is because it's a one shot. So I think overall it succeeds in what a alternate universe one shot needs to do. It presents us with familiar elements set up differently with a fun twist and it closes the story. Um, Even though like largely like there's no resolution between Misty and Gwen, their friendship kind of remains in that tenuous place where it is because Misty doesn't know what Gwen does at night, but you can only do so much within the restrictions of a one shot. Um, I meant to give it four out of five, even though I typed five out of five because I wish we had done more to um, establish like who Nightbird is and why she's cool instead of leaning so heavily on Batgirl, who is a licensed character at another company. But because I happen to like that licensed character at another company, I had a really good time reading this. So I think if you're at all interested in it, it's definitely worth picking up. Very fun. That's what the Heroes Reborn one shots are, essentially. They're like uh, when we got the Month of Amalgam books. Yeah. Where they talk to, you know, and the fake continuity mm-hmm. tied into it. Because we saw uh, Young Squadron was basically the Teen Titans, except the members of the Champions. And then we had uh, we had Hyperion and the Imperial Guard, which was a Legion of Superhero story. So they're basically, they're using this Avengers Don't Exist to tell DC comic stories. Oh, well, then perhaps it really succeeds and maybe it deserves a 5 out of 5. <laughs> that, <laughs> and maybe that that's my exactly fault, like I is, mentioned. Yeah. I'm like, They're I haven't to read any of the other story. ones. Yeah. 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 yeah well, right. well, it's fun. <laughs> I, I, it does. It looks really good. I was looking at some of the pages uh, earlier uh, this week when they sent out the, the preview images. Uh, yeah, really, and really unfortunately, we got a we got a low res PDF, which happens a lot with reviews. I do mm-hmm. the same thing when I send out. Uh, but I, the art is is very fun. I wish I could have seen it more. Yeah. Well, you can go check out some of the sneak peek pages over at Majorspoilers.com because we try to post as many sneak peeks for comics coming out uh, this week on Tuesday. And uh, if you're looking to see what's coming out from some of the big publishers, we usually have a, a preview running over there on the site. Just scroll down. You'll find a whole section. Uh, called sneak peeks or previews or whatever it's called and uh it's really cool to flip through there and just look at all the cool images the cool art the cool stories it's all neat um well i can also use our awesome link and get it on comiXology tomorrow that is correct yes more on that in just a moment matthew tell us all okay. about uh the 17 no die german book 17. no why i don't want to die i just i went through you and i had that conversation uh back before we recorded this week's episode of the legion clubhouse and how they tried to kill me this week. But please, tell me about Die 17 from Image Comics. First of all, we, we don't even speak German, so that joke doesn't make I sense. I do. Secondly, I took three years of German in, in college. Nick haben verfickten Schreibmaschinen. So here's the deal. Die. Die, 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 die. Die is the story of a role-playing group who have been sucked into a universe, uh, basically, that is a fictional universe, And they have come to the realization that they did not create this universe, that it has existed for a while and that they just fell upon it. Now, their group has been, you know, fighting each other and, you know, butting heads and having terrible things. And it should be noted that issue 17, uh, the title of the story is Total Party Kill, which is something that Rodrigo has been trying for for about 12 years or so. Just wait till he runs that Lancers campaign. Right, exactly. You know, that utopian Lancer where we all die. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this issue of Die, we have a guest star nearer and dearer to Steven's heart. Oh, is it uh, Dungeon Master from the uh, Dungeons & Dragons animated series? You wish it was Dungeon Master for the Dungeons & Dragons animated series. Is it Catherine Mary Stewart from uh, The Last Starfighter? Night of the Comet? No, it's not Catherine Mary Stewart from Night of the Comet. Think of people that you love that are incredibly racist. I've already mentioned two. But are they well, incredibly racist? I, don't, I may be a little insensitive. I don't know. All right. Howard P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah, they kind of referenced him in, um, was it one? One or two, I think they referenced some of the yeah. Lovecraftian things. 
Yeah, Lovecraft himself, or an echo of him, exists in Die. And so this issue has the group interacting with an echo of Lovecraft and trying to cross the portion of the weird dream reality that is his part of the dream reality. And they actually reference, I missed an issue or two, but they reference how Emily Bronte mm-hmm. also had a chunk of die and uh, somebody else. So are they referencing, so with HP Lovecraft, are they referencing like the Call of Cthulhu RPG game in that segment? I, I know with they like, are. I know when they do the World War One stuff, it's all Tolkien uh, related stuff. And, yep. the, you know, the the moving the miniatures across miniature wargaming games. Yep. This is basically an echo of Lovecraft from about 1919. For, so before he did his most important works, but after he started having the weird fever dreams that eventually led to the Cthulian Missos. And this story kind of does something that annoys me, but also entertains me in that, you know how time is an illusion and lunchtime doubly so? The implication is that part of the thing that Lovecraft was dreaming of when he was having those dreams was actually the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game that existed because he wrote a story about the dreams he had that were caused by the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game that didn't exist until he wrote the story. I can keep going like this, but essentially you guys recognize a bootstrap paradox when you see it. And it's interesting. It's really cool in the context of the story. As with so much of this, if you just basically focus on this fictional universe and the way things are established in this fictional universe and the metafictional, the metafictional parts of this fictional universe, it's great. You just can't think too hard about what that says about the greater reality in which the rest of us exist. And so... If you can come into this kind of the way I did and go, okay, this is a story about games. This is a story about RPGs. And this is how an RPG basically pop will eat itself. That's great. Also, uh, if you have any uh, fetishes, phobias, or uh, problems with giant insects and uh, creepy, creepy monstroids and things that have tentacles coming out of their face... This is not the comic for you. Wasp nests? Do they have wasp nests here, Matthew? Do you think I'd be reviewing a comic that had a wasp nest in it? I don't know. You said insects, so I didn't know. Nah, it's mostly uh, millipedes. So if you're a millipede and you want to kick somebody in the shins, do you, like, kick in order or do you stand on 50 legs and kick with 50 legs? I don't know. Anyway, um, nonetheless, irregardless, irrelevancy, this is a good comic book. And it does have things in here that are surprising that I'm not going to tell you about because I don't want you to know everything going into an episode of Die because the shocks work. And that's one of the best parts about Die. The fact that there is a very shocking moment in here where an old score comes back and that old score gets settled very brutally on panel and then we move on. But essentially, this is the portion of the Dungeons and Dragons that is in a literal dungeon. And, you know, they say hell is other people. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're reading this book, you probably know better. Four slices of the old meatloaf for die from Karen Gillen. Kieran Gillen, not Karen Gillen. She played Nebula. Writer Karen Gillen, artist Stephanie Hans from the Image Comics. This is a good book, y'all. I recommend picking it up. Yeah, and it will end. Uh, issue 20 is the last uh, issue in the in the series, obviously. 20 yeah, Sided Die, they're D20 in a world book. of a D20 world, so there you yeah. go. Yeah, go go check that out. They All stole right. that from Rodrigo, by the way. Maybe. They did. Uh, Rodrigo is going to wrap up our reviews this week with a comic that comes out next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norse Mythology 2, so this is the second volume, number one, uh, by Neil Gaiman... Uh, P. Craig Russell, art by Matt Horak. Um, so this is this is the adaptation of um, Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse mythology book, um, and uh, you know it's it's what you would expect. This particular um, this particular issue covers most of the story of Kvasir, 
who is uh, a very uh, wise and benevolent god and who um, gets into some misfortunes. But you know how the Norse gods are. It's like death is just kind of an inconvenience sometimes. Um, so it's very good. It's nice to read um, mythological stories that kind of follow that mythological um, structure uh, and and also the way in which they're told. So um, in, in modern writing, you have to set things up, right? You have to like kind of introduce things. But when you're telling a mythological story, you can just be like, and then they got to this point where there were like nine giants and those nine giants were doing this thing for their father such and such and it's like do we know who their father such and such is it's like no but it doesn't matter right it's like we've just been introduced to this and now we assume that it's a part of the world and that's something that i really enjoy um the the art is very good uh, there are a lot of sort of comical and morbidly comical moments in it uh and the artist does a really good job of sort of capturing that that dark humor a lot of the time um you know it's it's norse mythology it's all here you know gods being uh huge jerks jerks being huge jerks to the gods so everybody kind of gets it um it's uh yeah it it's it ends in a sort of a cliffhanger but you know next issue i think is going to have the both the end of this story and the beginning of a new story. Um, I'll give it four slices of meatloaf. It's a good read. It's fun. If you've been reading up to like, if you've been reading up to this point, you definitely want to read it. If you haven't, it's not a problem, right? This is a brand new story and sure. It helps to know who these gods are, but if you just go in thinking, well, these are all like relatively powerful gods of a pantheon, like it, it all just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, very looking forward to that. And uh, dear listeners, if you want to pick up any of these comic books uh, and you don't mind reading in a digital format, here's what you need to do. Over on the Majorspoilers.com website, you will see a bunch of uh, ads uh, at the very top of the page for Comixology, along the right side for Comixology. When you click on those Comixology uh, banners that say, you know, digital comics from Marvel, DC, and more, you click on that, and if you do a search for like Norse Mythology 2, number one, and you buy that, um, that's our affiliate link. And we get a little bit, comes back our way, a very little bit, like I think maybe five cents for every purchase. But hey, five cents adds up when there's thousands of you going out and buying comics uh, day after day and week after week. When you review all of, when you go and take a look at all of the reviews on the Major Spoilers website, for example, Matthew has a Ginny Zero number two uh, from Dark Horse Comics up on the Major Spoilers website today. You will notice that in the main info section when it talks about, uh, you know, who the writers are and all the the important stuff. And you see the cover image, you'll see you can purchase this issue via the Comixology affiliate link. You click on that. You buy Jenny Zero number two. Matthew, I think, gave this one like a four and a half uh, slices of meatloaf. Uh, I, I think on this one, four slices of meatloaf on uh, Jenny Zero number two. When you click on that link and you buy Jenny Zero number two, a little bit comes back our way. So uh, it's just another way that you can help support everyone at uh, Majorspoilers.com. Speaking of people who are supporting Majorspoilers.com, here are some of the new patrons that have signed up in the last couple of weeks. Check out some of these names. I love these names. Disco Gribs. Thank you so <laughs> much for becoming a silver patron. Uh, Jimbo Fett, who's uh, been pretty active in the uh, Discord server in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks since he signed up, is also uh, signed up as a gold patron. So thank you, Jimbo Fett. And then we have Simon and Oliver also signed up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those are just some of the cool, awesome people that have become patrons over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us now talk about Lady Killer, volume one from uh, Jamie Rich and Joel Jones. This is from Dark Horse Comics. This is a tale that is set in the 1960s, which, you know, when Matthew and I were growing up, the early 1960s were only like 20 years prior. They seemed like forever, though. They maybe a little bit, but not so much. I mean, they were, I mean, in the late 70s, the 60s were only like 15 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> but today, you know, 20 years ago was like two th the year 2000, 2001. I will end you. I know, right? It's really weird to think about that. So there may be a lot of people who are not familiar with the 1960s, especially if they don't have what's that boomerang or whatever the uh, channels are 
that show oh, like I the thought ancient we were say object permanence. No, no, no. Who <laughs> don't have uh, uh, don't have access to ancient television shows. But if you saw like the first two episodes of WandaVision, you kind of get a feel for what the 1960s were about. Uh, you know, the model, the model a mother who stays at home with her nice dress and goes to the PTA meeting and volunteers and and raises the two kids while the dad goes off. And you have the grumpy old uh, mother-in-law who lives with them. You know, the 1960s. Only in this case, Josie Schuler, uh, she has a different life. She's an assassin. So... Homemaker, wife, mother by day, killer by night. She's a lady and a... Oh, I just got oh, the title. Yeah, very good, Matthew. Congratulations. Oh, cool. I'm very curious. What is your initial impression of Lady Killer Volume 1, Matthew? I have a mixed impression because I really love the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are parts of it that I think are a little too uh, realistic to expectations of the 1960s so there's some you know 60s era girls aren't any good vaguely misogyny in here and of course i'm not really thrilled with uh, the fact that the james bond character here is su- is clearly such a jerk face and of course the s- first mission we see she murders somebody and then we're like yep you're going to the playboy club and you're dressing up as a i get it i understand it but there are things about it that I really enjoy. I feel like the elevator pitch of this, that basic uh, premise of Mary Tyler Moore, except she's a killer. I really, really like that. I guess I should say Laura Petrie. Uh, but, you know, it. I feel like it has legs behind it, and I feel like the art that we get really elevates this past that basic gimmick. But... There are some things in here that just kind of jar with my 21st century mm. sensibilities. Yeah, probably a little bit. Ashley, what are your initial impressions of uh, Lady Killer? Uh, so I'm a huge Jimmy Rich fan. I've mm-hmm. enjoyed pretty much everything that he's done, um, specifically in terms of his independent comics. Um, back when I first started at Major Spoilers, I reviewed, I think, every issue of Aries and Aphrodite, which he did with um, mm-hmm. Megan Levins. And I remember when... Back in the day when this issue first came out. Because <laughs> I have no memory of the 1960s, so that's my ancient history. She's um, talking about you, Matthew. She was she was referencing you, man. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's also, um, I find Lady Killer like kind of fun to go back to, knowing that um, Joelle goes on to do... Mm-hmm. Catwoman and basically reinvent and redefine Selena Kyle for uh, a new generation of readers. In fact, I interviewed her for major spoilers. You can find it in the archive yep. right when this book was first coming out. And then I met her like two years later at um, the CBLDF party at San Diego Comic-Con and fully screamed that at her because uh, I was so excited, <laughs> and, which is not a move I recommend. But um, I like this book a lot. Yeah. You remember me when I interviewed you. Yeah, truly. Not that she could have seen my face. Because um, I think we did it over email. But um, yeah, I like this book. And I think all of the, the things that um, Matthew pointed out in terms of like the uh, very heavy handed misogyny and some of the weird story turns are intentional. And that could be me apologizing for like, I read the whole series. Um, I own it. Like I, I, I like this book, so mm-hmm. I think it all really works. And it's kind of interesting to know now that this is going to be made into a TV show. We spent yeah. a lot of time talking about Netflix um, in the show, in the pre-show this right. week. Um, and to go and revisit this first volume and see how very much it's, it, I think it's a little bit more like a movie than a pilot, um, but how very much an audition piece for adaptation. Um, oh is. yeah. 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 Rhetoric. Which I mean, I, look, I wanna... we're all, everyone's doing it. Jupiter Joe would make a great pilot, friends. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, seriously, I, as knowing that this was going to be a, a Netflix series, and as I was reading this, I was like, okay, every one of these chapter breaks is actually a pretty good episode that you could do. Um, you know, even going all the way up to the stuff that happens at the Seattle World's Fair, so this takes place 62. Yeah, um, that's going to be fun. Yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting. And, but also, I think that this could be very bloody and very gory at times and I, again i'm not scru- squeamish about that stuff you know if you want to see somebody get their their uh throat slit or you want to see somebody being choked out by the uh um the cosmetics oh, lady purchased with an intention to compete with something like the boys yeah oh yeah definitely yeah. definitely yeah rodrigo what are your initial thoughts on on this on this uh volume um i 
in very initial thought is that her husband looks like uh, Roger from 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> and so I'm like... Are we mad uh, about it, though? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what if... What if what's, her, what's the lady's name? Like, Anita? What if she was a killer for hire? That'd be oh, hardcore. she just murders Cruella halfway through the flick? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. make for a short and movie. But... Anita turns out to be like her uh, assistant, just like... <laughs> well, well that, that's where oh. the sequel's going, apparently. Who knows? Oh, oh boy. Yeah, I guess, oh, boy. Yeah. Who knows? Um, <laughs> now, I so I really like Joel Jones' art. Um, yeah. So, just on the on the tin, just right up front, right? You get all this art; it's really fantastic. Um, as far as as far as the story itself, uh, probably like I didn't have too much of a problem with it. I expected that we were gonna get some bloody stuff. It is set uh, in the 60s. I also feel that the misogyny stuff is uh, is intentional, and right. that's why it's heavy-handed. And I, and I think Matthew gets that too. Yeah, it's just it's just irksome to to run up on it. <laughs> um, but um, I really, kind of what I didn't like is like there's a definite lack of details here, right? Like a lot of the time I'm like, okay, so she's an assassin. Who does she work for? She works for this agency. It's like, what kind of agency is it? Right. Is yeah. It, it's not really like, clear whether it's CIA or whether it's the yeah, mob is, or is something this a like that. Is a government agency? Is yeah. this a, like, are they private contractors for the government? That could be something, but you don't get that, right? You just know the agency's there and now they're, uh, basically trying to clean house um, by taking out the housekeeper. And um, it just, again, there are times when I am like, okay, this all looks very good. It's all cool. But I have questions about this. Mm-hmm. And this this comic very casually refuses to answer them. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, so... Going to the art, which, you know, we've all been talking about. I remember the very first image that I saw of this was the either the front cover art that first came out where it's her cleaning up the bloody mess in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, is she just some kind of psychopath that that kills people in, you know, suburbia America? And I was like, I think like Lady Dexter, Dexter. basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's I think it didn't come out when Dexter was still going on, but um. I definitely got that vibe from it when I first saw the first promo art from it. And so I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to be interested in reading this. So this was the first time that I actually had a chance to read Lady Killer and see what it was all about. And I'm I was really taken by uh, I I enjoyed the story for what it was. I agree with you, Rodrigo, that it's it's unclear, although I think when she goes in and she gets the contract to kill a kid, which I'm sure really triggered Matthew uh, quite a bit, uh, that when she's looking at the folders that they're handing uh, them, I think that's the name of the agency, right? The Avicii, whatever it is. Mm. Um, that may be the group that's doing it. Yes. So I was just like, oh, yeah. this is just a group of this is mobster people uh, that's doing it. I didn't associate it with a, you know, with an alphabet uh, government agency, although it could be. I, I, I'm sure Ashley will give us little nods here and there since she's read the entire thing and read them in the oh, original. Oh, the original <laughs> I did. And I was working at a comic book store at the time, so I definitely put them back on the rack and someone else bought. <laughs> there you go. Oh, with your fingerprints on them, man. You knocked them down from yeah, the you could, she took them from there. Are, you could make so many Ashley clones if you bought anything from Earth 2 Comics over the last couple of years. Yeah, they took them from a, a 9.8 to a 9.7. Yeah. I mean, Ashley. if someone if someone slabbed the even the issue that I touched, uh, that'd be probably a pretty decent investment. What with the TV show coming out. I would I would definitely buy that one if you knew that it had Ashley DNA on it, because when they do make that Jupiter Jet TV series. It's going to be yeah. worth even more. So, and look how good that worked out for all the people that bought all those episodes of Jupiter's Legacy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, somebody did slab Jupiter Jeff, by the way, and then we bought it on eBay. <laughs> oh, did you really? <laughs> That's funny. It would have cost to slab it. So, that is funny. Their service. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, but one of the things that one of the things that going back to the art, one of the things that really strikes me about the art is there are times where Joel Jones starts to mess with um, the type of lens that we're seeing in the in the shot. So when you use a 
Telephoto lens, of course, you're compressing space and the background looks like it's right on top of somebody. When you use a wide lens, obviously you're getting, you know, a bigger perspective on things. But there are times when she starts to go into the ultra wide angle lens. And so we start to get some fisheye effects that go mm-hmm. on in certain panels, especially early on in the issue. And again, later when she's um, I think it happens a lot when she's just killing anybody. Uh, she tends to use that quite a bit more. And it's to great effect. It kind of dis- it. For people that don't know what's going on with the lens uh, choices, it can kind of be weird because all of a sudden, why is her face all weird and distorted and her nose is, you know, big right there in front of the in, in front of the panel. But then you realize, oh, no, this is, you know, the type of lens that we're using to try and heighten yeah, the action. Yeah, yeah. And it's really it's really well done from that perspective. And I was like, ah, oh, that's a that's a neat little touch um, from the color. Also very 60s. Yeah, yeah, very yes. 60s. Yeah, yeah. And and I was also going to say the color palette that is used in here also feels uh, kind of 60s as well. It's it's a lot of pastel type colors, a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, happy colors that we see, even in the scenes of killing when she's at right. the Kit Kat Club and she's dressed as a, a all in red and everything's in blues. It's not these bold, oversaturated colors, um, but it's it's it feels very much like you're looking through not quite a Playboy magazine, but if you're looking through like. Uh, Vanity Fair, or if you're looking through one of those magazines of the time, I think this feels like the color palette you would have picked up from those magazines of the time. So I kind of, I kind of dig that uh, quite a bit. I um, watched The Prisoner earlier this year, and mm-hmm. this, in a lot of ways, reminded me of that intentionally bright to be mm-hmm. creepy mm-hmm. Um, sort of design choice. And like uh, going back to what you were saying about the lenses, particularly in the finale of The Prisoner. This is a deep cut reference for like maybe 25 other people listening yeah. and Matthew specifically. I'm with you. Um, I, I, that, like, that's the thing that it reminded me the most of in terms of like other media that would have been coming out around the time when this is set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The fallout reference, uh, which is the last episode of the preaching. I watched Jeez. the original episode. Um, the fallout reference is solid because I was looking at this and going, there are elements of the prisoner and there's elements of, you know, danger man. And there are points of this where I'm just like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what's happening in and around a James Bond story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my brain is like, what if this is what Money Penny is up to when Bond is not around? <laughs> Could be, uh, right? Right. And then, of course, you know, you get to the points where you're like, Joel Jones draws amazing automobiles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is a, is tall, a, a tall ask for a lot of comic book artists. Right. There is a chase sequence between a 57 Chevy and a Jaguar XKJ. That is so amazing, and it never and it, falls. Back and it also on, involves on a, it also involves a Woody, right? So That's it's true. It is it that. Is by very the way, well is a station wagon with wood paneling on the side. Get your head out of the gutter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just really it's really well done. I mean, just when we talk about rendering, like architectural rendering or mechanical rendering, uh, she's got that down as well as as character design too. And I well, love I, the use of red because when you see red, something violent is about to happen. But which it's interesting about that because blood is not depicted as red in this comic. Blood nope. is black in this mm-hmm. comic, which uh, is she, also very when telling she gets from color. Her dossier, it's red. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time we see her wearing red is when she goes into the the cat scratch club. Mm, good call. And, you know, there's a point where she goes into the uh, Chinese restaurant and she's sitting there and the Chinese restaurant has elements of red. And then, of course, she gets into that fist fight Mm -hmm. when she's dressed up as Jackie Kennedy. She has that red undershirt. When you see red, blood is about to happen, even if the blood is not colored red. Right. The red is there to let you know things are about to get violent. And I really like that, especially with the more muted color tones that you see here, the more, you know, pastel third season Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. What did you think, Matthew, about the uh, let's go kill a child? <laughs> that didn't bother me because of the way it played out. I would like, okay, we are at a point here where the creators are making a decision. And how it plays, it's going to be either she's an utter inveterate monster and she's going to murder this little boy. Mm-hmm. 
or she's going to find a clever way to get out of her job of murdering a little boy. And either way, it's going to inform the character and inform the story where it's going. And I like, you know, I don't want to spoiler it, but one of those things happened. And I like the thing that happens. And I feel like that kind of underlines what she's really about. And that makes, you know, that gives the story a gravitas. It feels like they've intentionally thrown this in to say, hey, Matthew, you know how you hate it when we put a kid in danger, Matthew, and we're going to do that here. And we're also going to, you know, we're going to take that, for lack of a better word, that trope, and we're going to twist it just enough that you realize that we know that you know that we know that you hate that yeah. and that we are going to put that in there and give you a chance to think, Oh my God, are they gonna, then we're going to resolve that and go immediately into, you know, a, a beautiful chase sequence with James Bond in it. So yeah. I was, I was fine with it because of the way it played out. If it had gone straight and turned it into, you know, the, the lady Dexter that, that Ashley was kind of concerned about, mm-hmm. it would have been a different book but I also feel like it wouldn't have necessarily been a deal breaker there because, you know, a story about a monster isn't necessarily a story about we're going to put people in, in danger just to be schmucks. Her children, her daughters don't ever become wedges to be fridged. And I feel like that's where I would have gotten upset if one of her girls was used in that same sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she got another one, so they're identical. That's true. Yeah. That's why you have to. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what uh, happened so, to Ashley's twin. I mean, <clears throat> what? When I read I mean, if Ed- you look at my brother, you'd think he survived. <laughs> we are command C and command V of genetics in this fam. Nice. <laughs> when when I read Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips stuff, I expect uh, nothing but degenerates in in the books, whether it's criminal or that Texas blood or friend of the devil or whatever that is, the reckless series that's currently out. I just expect there to be no good people in the book. And as I'm reading this one, I, I'm curious, Rodrigo, did the fact that nobody here is a good person, even the mother-in-law seems to be clued into something uh, that makes her not a good person. But, you know, everybody that we meet is a killer in some way, shape or form. And if they're not a killer, they're the ones that are getting killed. Did, did the lack of, I don't want to say sympathetic characters, but the, did the lack of, um, quote unquote, good characters bother you at all? No, I, I think that helps. Um, I mean, we meet know, an old it, man. We meet an old man and we're thinking, oh, here's this poor old man. Oh, no, he's he just killed two two young people. Yeah, he's right. a savvy person, too. Um, the, it's it's interesting, the world that that this uh, story creates, because you know that there are normal people in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Her husband appears to be a perfectly normal person. Her kids are fine. They don't seem to, you know, the neighbors are annoying her and stuff, but they, they're, they themselves are not super spies, right? She's part of this other world in which everybody has some sort of agenda or whatever. And, um, you know, it, it keeps it more or less separate. Um, so when she's off doing that stuff, she can be a, uh, unstoppable murder machine and then when she's doing other stuff you can have the family moments and as was brought up uh this all kind of flips because of her mother-in-law and you do see that her mother-in-law is involved in something she's Mm -hmm. german Mm -hmm. and talks about having seen one of the characters that are introduced here in the old country so uh, when you start calculating, well, it's the '60s, and this woman mm-hmm. is uh, probably uh, like 60, at least uh, you know at least sixty something, if not seventy something. Uh, Sixteen yeah. years you, Yeah, you start kind of figuring out that uh, maybe there's a deeper history here to all of these events. Yeah. What What didn't you like about this, Ashley? I know you were, you said nothing but good things, but is there anything that that bothers you about this? Is there anything that's that is kind of weird or off? That you kind of wish would be a little tweaked and maybe was in volume two? Um, I do always um, press a little bit against, and you mentioned this earlier, like when there's like no good characters to root for. And it's not that there are no like morally uh, <laughs> clean characters in the book, but your POV character, like she's not, Josie's bad. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same way that James Bond is bad and noir detectives are bad, but that's the gag of the story that you're signing up for. Um, volume one leaves the most um, dangling participles, the most things unanswered. You get more confirmation on who's it's and what's it's and more details in future volumes. And um, I find that sometimes that's the case with independent comics where um, you don't know if you're ever going to go past your first volume, if this is going to be a one and done. So you either um, give a lot of information or you give the bare minimum to get through. And I feel like this is an example of the bare minimum to get through. And I feel like future volumes definitely give a more well-rounded view of the world. But again, I really like this volume. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Did, did anybody get and maybe Matthew would probably get this more than anyone else. Did anyone else get a Howard Chaikin American flag Blackhawk vibe off of this book? I can definitely see why you'd say that. I didn't necessarily think of it, but if you mention it, yeah, it's definitely something. Okay. I was just curious. I mean, there, there's echoes of Chaikin throughout a lot of this. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say flag. I would say more in his, you know, satellite Sam oh, yeah, yeah. era stuff, which may or may not have predated this. But yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see it. All right, cool. Uh, bottom line for me is I really enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. I'm glad I read it. Uh, I'm glad that uh, that it's out there in the world. I will probably seek out volume two at some point. I'm sure we have it. They probably sent a review copy. It's Image Comics there. They're really good uh, about this stuff. I'm sorry, Dark Horse Comics. They're really good about this stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that I would I would ask uh, you, dear listener, to go and seek this out yourself, uh, not only for the the awesome art from Joel Jones, but uh, Jamie Rich does a great job in, in telling the story here. So for me, this is a definite pick up and and read not rush out into buying frenzy but definitely if you see this grab it and and read it uh matthew what are your final thoughts on lady killer there's a little bit of uh something that i like to call and by i i mean people on the internet uh call early installment weirdness that kind of pops up where you can see in the first issue or issue and a half the hey what if ads from the 1960s full of z rust but also a murderous and you can kind of start to see that crystallizing into more of the story as you go by the end of this it's clearly okay they know where they're going and it's solid and i feel like uh having read the later volumes as well there are stories that work better for me but i feel like this is probably the most uh indicative evocative whatever you want to say of what you're going to get from lady killer I would give it more of a cautious check it out than you because there is some some gorpiness and some blood and of course several of the you know the pinups include disembodied hands and blood yeah. and gross body yeah, parts. Yeah, it does and, get a little squeamish that way. Yeah, and that's not necessarily for everybody, but I liked it. I didn't necessarily want to marry it, but you know, I might hang out with it and see if we wanted to date. Rodrigo, final thoughts from you? Yeah, I really like uh, Joel Jones' art, and um, like I, I like the Helheim stuff a lot. Helheim and, is so good. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had seen Lady Killer, and I asked myself, why have I never picked this up before? And I read through this, and I enjoyed it, but also it dawned on me that I personally, I'm kind of not interested in this story, right? Mm, this mm-hmm. story of... Uh, you know, a housewife by day, murderer by night, and, and all the twists and turns, and it's so very 60s and cool. And it is cool, but I'm just kind of not into it. The art is good, though, and I am completely 100% the sort of person that picked up all of those terrible Heroes Reborn comics that are the basis for the one that Ashley read, hey. just based on the ones whose art I liked, right? It's like, I... It's like, I don't know what's happening in this story, but there's like a big, beefy, giant Magneto guy, and I kind of <laughs> want to know what happens with him. Yeah. So uh, Lady Killer's kind of like that. It's worth it for the art, but I'm kind of just not into the story. All right. And Ashley, final thoughts from you. I enjoy the uh, Lady Killer series a lot. Um, I'm also somebody who really likes James Bond, which is not without its problematic elements, particularly where female characters are concerned as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I think if you're intrigued for the TV show, if this hits any uh, Venn diagrams of things you're interested in, it's definitely worth checking out. It's fun. The series goes on. So you have something nice that you can read for a little while. And I would encourage you to, 
check it out using uh, the Nice Major Spoilers link and get you some digital comics because they're good for the environment. That is absolutely correct. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, no matter how you deliver it, we want to hear your feedback. Join all the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server, all the links on the show notes, to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or drop us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com and you might hear your words in an upcoming episode. And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. Next week, we are back into the world of Rivers of London. I'm very excited about this. Why? Well, we'll talk about that next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. We'll talk with you soon. Fat Dick's Ray Vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew To kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.